Welcome back to another MicroConf Refresh episode. These are the episodes when we look back at some of the best MicroConf talks from the past 11 years of running events. This week's talk is by Omar Zenholm. It's called From Zero to 14,000 Customers, The Survival Guide to Bootstrapping a SaaS. In this talk, Omar speaks about his journey from zero to 14,000 customers, launching his podcast, The $100 MBA, and his journey bootstrapping Webinar Ninja. He lists several lessons that he's taken from his own experience, things like sometimes you need to create a bad product in order to make a great one, always be profitable, relationships are your greatest asset, this is supposed to be hard, and your difference is your power. Before we dive into this talk, I wanted to let you know that mastermind matching is open. MicroConf does mastermind matching a few times a year, and we've had an incredible response to opening the doors this time. If you're struggling to stay accountable, if you're looking for advice and deeper relationships with other founders who are going through similar things, head to microconfmasterminds.com and you can apply to be matched with other ambitious, like-minded microconf founders. And with that, let's dive into our talk today, the survival guide to bootstrapping a SaaS. I'm Omar Zenholm, and it's great to be here in Las Vegas for MicroConf 2019. Uh, I am the co-founder and CEO of Webinar Ninja. I run this uh, business with my co-founder, my best friend, my wife, Nicole Baldino. Say hi, Nicole. And uh, together, we run a team of 16 remote team members uh, to run our company, Webinar Ninja. Team, love you. Keep working hard. Um, so yeah, so I'm going to share my story today, how we went from zero to 14,000 customers in the past five years of growing Webinar Ninja. Along the way, I want to share uh, some tips that I wish somebody told me when I got started. Uh, I call these survival tips. Uh, Nicole and I bootstrapped, self-funded, whatever you want to call it, uh, Webinar Ninja with zero cash. Um, we were really poor, okay? Uh, and uh, we, uh, we, we made it today. We're here. I still have clothes, I had a great meal, I'm still good. So uh, I wanna share that story with you. And to share that story, I gotta go back five years. And in, in fact, almost to the day, five years ago, Nicole and I were here in Vegas for a conference. It was a conference called New Media Expo. Not a great conference, but the point is, is that's when it all got started. And that's me and Nicole five years ago. I mean, look at that beautiful, dark, rich hair I had. Okay? This is what you gotta look forward to. No, I'm just kidding. I've earned every gray hair and every hair that I've lost, uh, but um, that was us, green, happy, beautiful, right? Um, but the truth is, is that that event was incredible for us because it was a pivotal moment. We, we met some very interesting people. I'm sure you're having these experiences today uh, at the conference. Um, at the time, we just launched our own online program called the $100 MBA, which is exactly what it sounds like, a $100 MBA education. Uh, but we weren't ballers or anything. We had less than 50 customers, less than 300 people on our email list. We had a, you know, virtually no audience, no traffic. And like I said, we were flat broke. And when I say flat broke, like we were trying to figure out how we're going to make rent. Okay. Um, and somehow we scrapped together enough money to buy two like super, super duper early bird tickets for the event got a couple tickets to Las Vegas, got into a flea bag room into uh, the Golden Nugget on Fremont Street, like one of the oldest places on, in Vegas. But we got here. And the interesting, is, interesting thing is that when we got here, we met all these interesting people 
that were doing interesting things, things that we wanted to do, living the lives that we wanted to live. Um, and I realized something, like even though I was side hustling for about 10 years before this point, um, I left that conference uh, with an interesting feeling. I felt absolutely stupid, right? I started to feel like, wow, I don't know anything. Like, I thought I knew it all, and I need to reevaluate who I am. Like, it was an incredibly humbling feeling, but we also left really feeling inspired. Again, we were seeing people doing things we thought, wow, this is possible? That person's normal, just like me, and I, I, can, I can build a business like that. I can be able to uh, live a life like that. And it was just really, really inspiring. But the biggest takeaway that we got from the event was every single person that I met at that conference that was successful, that had a great business, had one thing in common. And that leads me to my first survival tip, okay? And that's, if you have no audience, you have no business. Every single person at that conference that had a successful business had an audience, had a successful blog, a great YouTube channel, something going on, a great email list that they can reach out to. If the Kardashians have taught us anything is that if you don't have an audience, you don't have a business, okay? So that really resonated with us. Like, man, I gotta get myself an audience. I gotta have somebody, some people to talk to. Like, you can work on a great app, you can work on a great uh, product, but you have nobody to talk to, to sell to, it's really hard to get any kind of velocity. And it just became really apparent to me that like, maybe the audience is more important than actually having the business or the product. So we left that conference saying, okay, we're gonna do this, we're gonna commit to building our audience. So we decided to do two things. We started a podcast and we started doing webinars. Let's start with the podcast. So the first thing that we did is we started this podcast. Nicole was like, okay, we're going to start this podcast. We're going to kill it. It's going to be amazing. We started this podcast called People Who Know Their Shit. It's a great name, right? Unfortunately, the show was absolute shit. Okay? And it was, you know, we really tried hard. We, we, it was an interview podcast. We interviewed people um, and great entrepreneurs. 46 episodes. We really put a lot of effort into it. But it didn't really move the needle. Like we, we really didn't have a great audience. Uh, we built it for the audience, and on a good day, we'd have like 400 downloads on the episode. And, and that really wasn't enough for us to feel successful, not enough for it to really be significant. So Nicole and I really thought, thought hey, what's going on? Why are we not successful? Like, should we just give up this podcasting thing? Like, no, podcasting is an interesting medium because you could build a relationship with people, people who start to trust you, people start to understand. Uh, why you built your business, and if they resonate with your why, they'll want to get to know your products and services. So we thought, hey, both Nicole and I have over 13 years of experience in education. I, I was a teacher for 13 years, so was Nicole. Why are we interviewing people? Maybe we should be teaching on this podcast. So we retooled and we said, okay, let's start a new podcast, and we called it The $100 MBA Show, which is daily, short, 10-minute lessons. Uh, five days a week, we would deliver a new business lesson. Um, and we just put our heads down. We worked really hard on this podcast. We launched it um, in April, uh, I'm sorry, August of 2014. And we got uh, an audience. Um, it was different. People usually are accustomed to interview podcasts at the time. Um, they thought it was interesting because it was short. Uh, we were fortunate enough that iTunes awarded us Best of iTunes, which is like the, one of the best podcasts of the year, which gave us a lot of traction. Um, and we've had over 1,200 episodes, over 90 million downloads, 90 now. Um, and we get over 120,000 uh, daily listeners. So 
it's a lot easier for me to speak to somebody uh, that, is already ha- that already has a relationship with me, knows who I am, knows my story, and say, hey, by the way, I also have these products or services uh, that may be of interest if you're interested in this content. So that was a huge takeaway take for us. If I'm being completely honest, I would not have Webinar Ninja if it wasn't for the podcast, if it wasn't for my audience. I would not be on stage today. Like, I would be a nobody, right? So I really believe that whatever you're working on, think about how you're going to build an audience, whether it's blogging, whether it's uh, a, a YouTube channel, whether it's a podcast, whatever medium you choose. The second thing we did is we started doing webinars. Now, like I said, my email list was pretty weak. It was like less than 300 people. Um, so webinars were like fascinating to me. I was like, what? You just teach on video and then you maybe give an offer and then people buy your stuff? Like, are you serious? I could teach. I've been doing it for 13 years. This seems pretty cool. And I ran my first webinar. I had 10 registrants, right? And five attendees. But at the time, 10 people signing up. It took me like two weeks to get 10 people on my mailing list back then. So I was like, this is great. I love webinars. So I started doing webinars week after week. Uh, I started to get comfortable with it. I really enjoyed it. But unfortunately, it's 2014. Webinars are still early. And this is kind of what I had to do every single week. I would have to first create a landing page so I can promote the webinar. Then I would have to put my opt-in form for my email marketing software into the page. And then I have to you know, create the webinar page and make sure my streaming software was in the page and it streamed properly. Then I have to create all the email notifications and then make sure that email marketing software fired them properly. And then from there, I'd have to embed a chat software on my webinar page and make sure that worked. And then after that, I had to like, run the actual webinar and make sure the attendees are seeing this and it's actually working. And then when it's all over, it's not over yet. I got to have to have a replay page and embed the replay in there. And I did this every single week. And I was just like, this is insane, but it's working. So let me just keep on doing it. And I said, well, maybe people are struggling with this. Maybe people want to learn how to do this. Maybe I should create a course, maybe even a book, on how to do this, all, how to put this all together. So we launched the DIY webinar guide. And Nicole's a New York Film Academy graduate. We shot these amazing courses, great video, a great course. We were like, this thing is going to be amazing. We launched it, and we got two sales. Wait for it, guys. One of them was a chargeback. <laughs> I wish I was joking. I wish I was joking. But the funny thing is, is that we were like, OK, people don't want to learn how to do this. OK. And it was just really uh, a blow in the gut. At the time, you know, we could have used a couple more sales, right? So. I just kept on trucking. I just kept on, uh, keep, uh, kept on going. But the one thing you're going to learn along the way is this tip, is that sometimes you have to create a bad product to create a good one. And this is from uh, Ben Horowitz's Horowitz book, uh, The Hard Thing About Hard Things. Great book. Love that book. Um, and it's really true. And sometimes you're not going to understand what that good one is until a little bit later. You'll realize, oh, man, I created this failed. This it tanked completely. Um, and then later on, maybe not immediately, you'll realize, okay, this is what people really want. But I say this to you because I wish somebody told me that at the time, because you just feel like a loser. You're like, oh, this thing failed. I got two sales. One of those was a chargeback. This is ridiculous, right? What am I doing? Right? You have to realize that, hey, this might happen. I might have a few things that won't work out. Um, so I just kept on going. I kept on trucking. I kept on doing my webinars. I was getting some traction with it. But I was getting frustrated with that whole procedure of creating all those things. So I said, okay, 
What if I just like put a software together just for me to make it easier for myself? You know, I, I don't consider myself a professional developer. Um, I'm, I know a bit of PHP, HTML, CSS, enough just to hack something together and use it for myself. So I started using this software uh, to run my webinars. And as I was running the webinars, you know, I started scratching my itch. I was like, OK, this is cool. This feels good. This is interesting. But as I was running it, the attendees on the webinar started asking me, like, hey, what are you using for this webinar? And I said, just the software I slapped together. And they're like, well, can I buy it? And I was just like, hmm, give me a minute to put a landing page together. But, uh, but the point was is that I learned my lesson from the DIY webinar guy. Like, there's a difference between somebody saying, hey, that's a great idea. Yeah, I would buy that. Wonderful idea. And actually putting money down. You know, as they say, money talks. But uh, often when we have business ideas, we like to share with our friends and family and things like that. And it's just it's an easy thing to say yes to because there's no commitment. So Nicole and I, uh, because we were broke and because we knew this, uh, decided to pre-sell Webinar Ninja. We decided to pre-sell it. Um, and that's where we lead to the next tip, which is always be profitable. If you're bootstrapping your company, you need to find a way to make sure that whatever move you make at the start, how can I be profitable at the start? How can I make sure I can pay all my bills and pay whoever I'm hiring or pay myself, right? So uh, it was really important for Nicole and I to be like, hey, okay, we got this $100 MBA thing going. Uh, it's paying our bills. But if we're going to start something new, we can't afford to lose money. We got to find a way to be profitable from the start. And so we pre-sold Webinar Ninja. And when I say pre-sold, we literally just had one landing page. This landing page is so hideous. I don't want even want to like, hurt your eyes and put it on a slide, OK? It literally just had like, some Photoshop file screenshots. And just like, this is the problem we're trying to solve. This is my story. If you're interested in a better way to do webinars, easier way to do webinars, uh, click on this PayPal button and uh, buy uh, you know, a spot. We sold it for $300. Uh, and we opened up 150 beta spots. Um, at the time, my list was starting to grow. So I had about 3,000 people on my email list. Uh, I emailed everybody that I knew, like personally on Gmail, like, hey, I emailed you last week. I want to tell you about something I'm launching, um, social media, whatever small presence we had. And in 48 hours, we sold our first 150 spots. So big difference between two sales, one of them was a chargeback, right? And we realized, OK, we hit a nerve here. There's so much pain in this area of doing webinars that people are willing to just pay $300 with the hopes that you can solve something in six months when they get the software. So we're like, OK, that's great. We hit a nerve here. We know this is going to work at some capacity um, if we actually can deliver. Everything's on the line here, by the way. And we said we can use a little bit more money. So we opened up another 100 spots, and that sold out in 24 hours. So we had 250 beta spots. Uh, we gave them lifetime access for $300. So we had $75,000 in funding to create a commercial, like a commercial, commercially viable product where I can actually give something that looks decent to these users. Now, we purposely made this lifetime. Some people don't agree with me with this move, but we made the first 250 spots lifetime because I wanted them to feel invested in the product. Um, I want them to feel like, hey, I, I have lifetime access. I want to give feedback. I want to be able to improve this product in some way. So it was our way to say, hey, we're going to give you access to this as long as we live, as long as you like, just fund us at the start to make this happen. So from there, 
I hired a freelance developer that knew what they're doing, and they cleaned up the software. And then the moment of truth came, September twenty uh, first, two thousand fourteen. We launched it, and it was full of bugs. It was ugly. It was a disaster, right? So, and that's just the truth. That's just what happened, right? Um, and what happened next was I got on email, I got on Skype, I got on the phone, I spoke to people in person, uh, those first 250 members, asking them for feedback, asking them what went wrong, asking them how to fix it, begging them not to ask for a refund, because we asked them, you know, uh, you have 60 days to make a decision after we deliver it. Um, so, because I didn't have the money to give back to them. You know? So I really was uh, on the line here. I really had to make sure that I sold the vision of my company. So I didn't have investors, but I had beta members. I had to convince, hey, this thing's going to be amazing. Just you know, trust in me. I'm going to uh, improve these things. And we made improvements, and we, uh, we iterated, and we took all that feedback, and we went out of beta, went to version one, uh, which when we became an actual SaaS and charged monthly and annual for our product. Uh, and those 250 members I know by name. Right, like these people, uh, you know, are amazing to us. They're like our, our biggest fans, our biggest advocates. Even though we didn't deliver with, to them a great product at the start, um, it was functional. It worked, but it had its hiccups. So, a lot of people ask me this question: Great, you know, story at the start. How did you get to 14,000 users? How did you get to over a million people attending your webinar? And the answer I always give: People just don't like it. They're like, really. That's your answer, right? And it's just the truth. And I'm going to explain that in tip number four. Relationships are your biggest asset. Those first 250 members that we had, half of those came from that conference I told you about in, in, in Vegas five years ago. I literally met as many people as I could. I, I, I got to know them. I took down their emails. I took down their Twitter handles, whatever. And when we came to launch or pre-launch this thing, I emailed them and said, hey, I'm working on a new project. If you could spread the word or if you're interested, you know, here's the link. You know, they, they all like, hey, I'll support you. Sure, let's, it's not that much money. Let's go ahead. Um, another example is that at that conference, I met uh, a gentleman named John Corcoran, who is a great business mind, has a great podcast. And he introduced me to a whole bunch of people just because he's a, he's, he's a good guy and we became friends. And he introduced me to a guy named Michael Port. Michael Port is a New York Times bestseller. He has a huge audience of like over half a million people in his email list. And I heard that, hey, Michael Port is going to be in LA. I was living in San Diego at the time. And we went to dinner together. And I, we had like a two-hour dinner. We're talking about everything other than business. And at the end, he was like, hey, Omar, I really like you, man. What's going on in your world? And I said, I just launched this new software. It's called Webinar Ninja. Uh, this is what it do, does. And like my whole thing was like, it would be awesome if this guy just used my product, right? And I was just like, hey, man, you know, would you like to try it out? Would you like to be a user? And he was like, well, why don't I do a webinar with you uh, for my audience? And that way you can be exposed to my audience. And I was like, what? Are you serious? That's amazing. I would love to like, give you an affiliate link. He's like, no, 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 I don't want any money. Just, just go ahead and do it. You have a great product. I support you. Boom. And people were like, what? Are you serious? People actually do that? Yeah, there are people actually just want to help you out. They see themselves in you. They see themselves in you in, in a way, and, they, and this has happened to me several times where I get uh, an, an opportunity to grow my audience and get sales through just the people I know and the people I've met. Um, so what's my secret? Well, my secret is I encourage you to channel your internal Mr. Rogers. I grew up on Mr. Rogers. If you don't love Mr. Rogers, get out of this room right now. 
Mr. Rogers is the epitome in my, in my book uh, of somebody who's selfless, helpful, kind, um, wants to help people out, has helped a generation out, right? And I don't want to be cheesy or corny, but like when, when we go to conferences, when you email, when you tweet, I think this is a good approach of being like, I just want to help this person out. I want to be a good person and just be a nice friend. Like Mr. Rogers was my friend as a child. Like I used to go home, watch Mr. Rogers. He was my buddy. And I just look at, I want to make friends with people in this space. And I don't really care if it comes back to me or if we do a joint venture or we do something. I don't care about that. I just, I'm interested in these people. I, I like them. I want to be their friend. And I want to help them in any way. So there's a technique that I want to share with you that is super easy to do. And it's not salesy or marketing because, again, you're just staying in touch with friends. So I want, to make, I, want, I want you to make a list of 60 people. And these people could be people that you've met at this conference, people that you, you want to get to know, people that you've been meaning to get in touch with. And you could just put it in a Google Sheet or an Excel file or whatever. And every week, I want you to message five people. Okay? And, every, and this message doesn't have to be like, hey, what you're working on? Maybe we can partner up. No. Like, how would you message a friend? I would say like, hey, I saw that you had a baby on Facebook. Congratulations. Or how was the flight back home from, from uh, MicroConf? You know, that was crazy weather when we left. Uh, hope you're doing well. Go Celtics. Whatever. Like, you don't have to be uh, something you're not. Just be a friend. Uh, I do this all the time. And it could be a message. It could be WhatsApp. It could be a tweet. Just stay in touch with five people a week. Once a week, I want you to make one intro to somebody else. So if you met somebody at this conference that was interesting, that was doing cool things, and you know somebody else, like, hey, do you know John? I met him at MicroConf. He creates mobile apps, amazing guy. Uh, I'll let you guys take it from here. And what that does is that allows other people to feel like, wow, you know, Omar's a connector. Next time I meet somebody interesting, I'm going to introduce him to you, you know, introduce him to Omar, right? So I want you to try this for 12 weeks, 12 weeks of doing this. That means at the end of the 12 weeks, you'll have contacted all 60 people. It's only three months. Um, and what happens is that, that you're constantly in touch with the people that you want to be in touch with. So it's not like I haven't spoken to you in years. And it builds that relationship and that rapport. And to me, this is my, like, the secret of growing a business, is your relationships. Uh, and it's amazing how it comes back to you. I don't know the exact data. I don't have a, a chart for you. But this works. I also want to say that I still make mistakes. And I want to say that to you because you know, I've been doing this for five years. I've, been, I've built businesses for over 15 years, uh, side hustling. I had an e-commerce business for a very long time, podcasts, all this stuff. right? Till this day, I still make mistakes. Uh, the fun thing about mistakes is that the more you make, the better you get at course correcting and saying, OK, uh, that was a mistake. Let's move here. Now, of course, you want to learn from your mistakes. But what I want to say is don't beat yourself up every time you make a mistake. Why? Because there are going to be more. And you're just not going to make it if you keep beating yourself up. So I still make mistakes. I've made mistakes just this month. You know, I've learned. I moved on. It's all good. Okay? And that leads me to my fifth tip is this is supposed to be hard. I wish somebody told me this. You know, you hear on podcasts like, oh, if I knew it was this hard, I would have never tried. <laughs> no, no. I want to know how hard it is because the whole time, when I was struggling, I was like, am I stupid? Am I an idiot? Am I like weak? Why is this so hard for me? Right? But the truth is, after like, getting to know other entrepreneurs, reading their, hearing their stories, talking to people here at MicroConf, you know, reading autobiographies uh, of great entrepreneurs, it's a struggle. It's supposed to be hard. 
okay? So if it's hard for you at the start, if it's hard for you while you're building, it's okay. That's the rite of passage. That's how it's supposed to be. That's just, you're, you're on cue. It's all good, right? So to illustrate this, I, I want to give you this image here, okay? And, and I didn't make this up. I took this from Zig Ziglar, which is, uh, he, he was talking about uh, like personal development, but I applied it to business and in SaaS business in particular. So at the start, when you're in the idea phase or when you're about to launch, you're like at the base of the mountain, right? With the guy with the sunglasses, right? The smiley faces. And it, you're having a great time. The sun's in your face. You're just taking a walk, really, right? And, and it's a good, good feeling. You feel inspired, and it's great. And you see this beautiful vista, beautiful mountain, amazing. As you start trekking up the mountain, you're, you know, you're walking up. You're still hiking, right? You're starting to sweat. It's a little bit tiring, you know? But you're still having a good time. You're having a bit of struggles. You know, you make a few mistakes. Sales are not as good as you think it is. But it's, it's fine. You're still, you're still living the dream, right? As you start moving up the mountain around phase three, your quads are killing you. You're like, whoa, this is hard. You know, like, I'm kind of plateauing. I can't really move up that fast anymore with hiking and all that stuff. Uh, you know, I'm maybe at seven or six or maybe eight MRR, 8,000 MRR, and you're not growing as fast as you used to. You're not moving up as fast as you used to. A lot of businesses stop here, and it just becomes like a side project, a hobby, something like that, right? And they fail here. Why? Because they don't realize that you know, the hiking, the same thing they were doing to get to that point is not going to take them to the top. You got to start doing other things. Like you have to start climbing vertically. Like you got to start actually vertically climbing with tools. There's a different, different atmosphere up there, different weather. There might be different people up there that you have to understand how they work. Uh, you might need a Sherpa to show you up the way. Somebody who's been up that mountain a few times and knows, you know, what to look out for. And this is a phase I got stuck on for a bit, and it's because I was, I was too proud. I, was, I said to myself, oh, getting a coach or getting somebody who can help me out, that's for people who are like not intelligent enough to figure it out on their own, or somebody who's weak or not motivated. But you do. You do need somebody to help you along the way uh, that has done it before. Um, you know, Nicole and I have hired Dan Martel, which is a, he's a great coach for us, and he's, he's done this a few times in advice companies. So, like, it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to say, all right, I got this far on my own wits. I need help. I need to know how to get up there vertically, whether it's an advisor or whether it's somebody who's going to, you know, come on board to your company and, and, and give you some, uh, you know, some tips. But as you get closer to phase, you know, four and up to the top, you know, you're climbing, you learn how to climb, you have a, a roadmap, you have a bit of guidance, you have a mentor, and you start to realize that every move counts. Every decision counts. You know, you, you see a lot of companies maybe make a mistake and the blowback is huge because they're so big and the drop is pretty steep now because you've gone up this far. So it, you're working hard still, right? You're putting in the hours, but you're, you're putting a little bit more thought. You can't afford just to, you know, make mistakes and, quit and, and fail quickly and, and, re, and uh, course correct. Then, of course, when you get to the top of the mountain, the part that we all dream about, phase five, you're on the top of the mountain, that's, that's the best, right? Rocky time, Rocky four, right? Woo! You're at the top. But the funny thing is when you do get to the top, you have a completely different perspective. You see all the different other mountaintops, the other vistas, the other uh, things you can do, the other things you can improve in your business, other challenges, other mountains to climb. So the point of this whole illustration and these interesting emojis is that it's hard, it's challenging all along the way. It's just different challenges. And what I love about this, and this is, I'm not trying to like put you down here, what I'm trying to say, what's great about this is that 
because there's so many different kinds of challenges, it forces you to become something else. One of the things I learned is that like, if I want to get somewhere, I can't be the same person. I got to change to get there, right? I have to become something else. I have to become somebody who knows how to climb vertically, right? And, and that's what's beautiful about starting a business and entrepreneurship is that, that, that growth of feeling like, wow, I can, I can really become something better than I am yesterday. So you're climbing this mountain. We all know that it's very competitive in SaaS and business. So how do you stand out in a, in a crazy world? We've seen this slide over and over at, in growth and people have mentioned you know, how much competition it is in the marketplace. How do you stand out from the crowd? And that leads me to my final tip, tip number six. Your difference is your power, okay? I struggled with this for a while. Um, you know, uh, my parents uh, migrated to e from, from Egypt to America in the 60s. Um, I grew up just feeling different, feeling not, uh, I don't fit in. I look different. My name is Omar Zenholm. No one's ever heard of it. Uh, I would go to Egypt in the summer for summer vacation. I would come back and they'd be like, oh, like, how was the camel ride? Ah, that type of thing, you know? How's King Tut? That type of thing. So I grew up feeling different, right? And I thought that was a weakness. I thought that, you know, maybe I can't make it. You know, my name is Omar Zenholm, right? If you Google my name, it takes you about five pages to find a different Omar Zenholm. So I use it to my advantage. That is my power. Poor Justin Jackson, he's got like five pro athletes ahead of him, right? The poor guy. You know, I never built a SaaS company before. I never built a software business before. But I was a teacher for 13 years. I didn't neglect my past. I didn't say, no, you know, I'm not a teacher anymore. I'm a business person now. I'm a, a software person. Screw teaching. No, that was my advantage. When our marketing is all education-based. We teach people how to run businesses, or how to run webinars, how to be able to promote their webinars with education in mind. And people love it because it's not as hyped up and salesy as our competition. They're like, oh, I could teach. But sales is kind of intimidating, but I could teach. Teaching sounds something I can do. And that became our advantage. Our difference became our advantage. I was totally broke. Nicole and I didn't have any money, so we were forced to think creatively about how we can fund this project. Uh, you know, I really believe constraint really, uh, you know, breeds creativity, forces you to be creative and have creative solutions. I'm not a pro developer. Uh, I, everybody in this room is probably a better developer than I am, right? Uh, nor am I a great designer. I, the, you know, the first few years I was doing my own designs in PSD and, and they were really ugly. You know, today we're so lucky to have Arena, our great UX UI designer. She's fantastic. Um, but I, I'm neither of those, but I am a user. Like, I have run over 500 webinars. I know what people want. I am very in touch with what a host of a webinar would really love. So I can really inform the product when we have our team meetings. And lastly, I am not like any other entrepreneur I know. When I got on this journey of entrepreneurship, I honestly wasn't sure I can actually do it. Mainly because I've never seen an example of me. I've never seen an Arab-American successful entrepreneur. And I thought, maybe it's not possible. Maybe it's just how it is. But then I thought, maybe I could be that person. Maybe I can just embrace that. And, 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 and in that, embracing that kind of understanding, I could be more memorable on a podcast, on, on a, you know, an interview, on stage, at a conference. People will remember me more because I'm not like everybody else, or I'm, I'm an example they've seen over and over again. So I encourage you, no matter how different you are, your quirks, you're a huge fan of Michael Bolton, use them in your, in your emails, you know? 
instead of just writing, you know, why are you unsubscribing, right? How could we be lovers if we can't be friends, right? So just embrace however weird you are, because that's your advantage. That's how you're going to stand out, by being yourself. Thank you very much, guys. I really appreciate it. I'm curious about your transition going from the DIY webinar content to the software. Did you, um, was it just that the, the first one failed and the second one succeeded because it was more turnkey for customers? Or, and, and how did you sort of go through that thought process? What were the signals that you were following to realize that, you, that the problem was still a meaningful one, but that you had the wrong solution? That's a great question. Um, because you know, obviously a failure will, will, will let you know, OK, this didn't work. And it'll force you to ask the question, why? Like, why didn't this work? Well, um, I asked myself, well, if I'm, a, if I'm somebody doing webinars, what is my biggest pain? And it's like, well, all that work. Well, I'm still doing all that work. Then I was like, oh, OK, maybe they don't want to do all the work. So um, I still kind of never, you know, I still kind of created the software for myself first. And I really didn't uh, consider starting a software business. It wasn't even on top of mind. But it started to cement when I started to use it. I was like, wow, this is super easy. And then people started asking about it and asking, like, hey, can we buy it and things like that. So I was like, maybe I should consider this. You know, that's kind of the transition. Thanks for sharing. I uh, wanted to ask, so for your, initial, um, for your initial spots that you sold, you mentioned that half of them came from that conference at Vegas. Mm -hmm. And then I'm assuming the rest came from maybe like your audience or something. But I was wondering if you could talk about how you procured the rest of those slots, how you filled the rest of those slots. Uh, I, I like this question because it forces me to be honest. Uh, to be honest, uh, I did things people are not willing to do. Not anything illegal or anything bad. <laughs> but I was willing to email people that I knew that I met and just actually sell them on an email. Uh, and it wasn't sales. It was just like, hey, by the I told my story. Like, you know, I, I launched this new software. Uh, I'm, I'm still kind of building it. This is what it does. You know, I, I literally emailed people that have emailed me once, or I've heard of them, or I would get on a Skype call via like a DM on Twitter. Um, I was, uh, you know, a part of a, a community called Fizzle, which was like an online education for business. And uh, I, I had a chat with the founder there. I got his feedback, uh, corporate bar at the time. So it, it was literally like one person at a time, emailing, calling, uh, kind of door-to-door -door sales until I actually got there. Um, I, I know that sounds like a lot of time, but I had no other choice. Like, I, what else am I going to do? Like, I don't have an audience at the time. It was still growing. So uh, that's, that's really what I did. Left side over here. Hey, thank you. Um, so going back, I guess, to that same question or similar, uh, I really like the idea of lifetime sales. Mm -hmm. I want to understand your, your mentality at the time. How did you go, go about, uh, you know, uh, understanding, are you, are you making the right choice of giving them lifetime access and without charging them anything else afterwards, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think it's a cool idea that, that I think anyone starting up can use, and I think it gives enough incentive for mm -hmm. people signing up to just come and purchase it, knowing that for long term they'll gain, gain value. So I want to understand, like, how did you um, decide that and what was the process? If I'm going to be honest again, like a big part of that decision was I need money. Like I'm just being honest. Like that's how it was. Like I, if I'm going to build this, I need money, and I need to make this as promising, as lucrative as possible. 
um, you know, as advantageous as possible to the user. But on top of that, I also, you know, I, I didn't feel like it was a huge risk because it was only 250 people. It wasn't like a lot of people. And, you know, those people have like lifetime access to like our best plan, right, till, the, till today. We've run uh, other lifetime, we've ran an AppSumo deal, but it was like a custom deal, which really it would allow them to jump to a new plan uh, because uh, they need more attendees or things like that. And we had ways to kind of uh, grandfather, uh, not grandfather them, but you know, upsell them into a better plan as they grew their business. Uh, I, I just wanted to build a relationship with them. I wanted to say, hey, this is my commitment to you. Can you commit to me? And that was my mentality at the time. Uh, I'm not saying that's like the decision everybody should make. That's the decision I made in my situation. And I felt it was the right decision just because I can get the feedback I needed. I can get them to you know, commit to, the, to, the, to the, the, the program and the software. And till this day, they are our most active users. They're on my webinars. They're our biggest cheerleaders. So the ones that really help us out with, you know, again, no, no incentive, no affiliate link, no nothing. I hope you enjoyed that talk from MicroConf Las Vegas in 2019. And another reminder, that MicroConf Masterminds are open for matching. MicroConfMasterminds.com if you're interested in being around and being matched up with like-minded, ambitious SaaS founders. We'll see you next week.